If you're salivating at the thought of that, wait till you hear the cooking happening. We've also got uh, some stuff on shortwave radio and my weird fascination with it, left over from last podcast. What's a holiday in Centre Parks like in uh, the UK these days? Find out from somebody who's just been on one. A new feature for you, we bring you Rock Around Britain. He says, try not to sound like smashy and nicey. And of course, your emails and correspondence. Welcome as ever. Now, the I Miss Blighty Quiz. So once again, we give you three quiz questions, all with answers to do with Blighty. And all the answers come at the end of the podcast. Question one, to which disc jockey and producer was television presenter Anthea Turner married before her present husband, Grant Bovey? She's just back on the TV in the UK. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But to which disc jockey and producer was TV presenter Anthea Turner married before her previous, before her current husband, I should say? Let's get it right. Question two. Which L was Lord Lucan's nickname? We don't know where he is, although many rumours he's in the north of Cyprus, but uh, I guess we'll never find out. But what was his nickname? It began with L, Lord Lucan. And lastly, question three. What was the name of the government charter instigated by Prime Minister John Major in 1991 with the intention of proving and improving standards of public services in the UK? That's one of those questions that sounds harder than the answer is. From 1991, the Prime Minister John Major introduced a charter. Uh, The idea was to improve standards of public services in the UK. But what was it called? It got the mickey taken out of it quite a bit, if I remember rightly at the time. Those are the three quiz questions. And, of course, we give you the answers at the end of the podcast. I'm Miss Blighty for British expats around the world. So here we are on I Miss Blighty, and before we get into some of our lighter news uh, this time around, uh, some more serious stories, of course, the uh, recently breaking story of uh, alleged abuse by British forces in Iraq, of course, a major story, although, of course, uh, if we're uh, to believe what we're told, the video was shot actually a long time ago now, in 2004, but very, very unsavoury pictures, which have... uh, certainly tarnish the image of the British Army and I think there are very few who would deny that they are genuine pictures I don't think that's an issue and uh, tarnish the good image of the British Army and of course uh, given a lot of ammunition to those who would knock us around the world I think and uh, dark days really and I guess of course the other story in similar vein although uh, not just a British story but the uh, continuing uh, worldwide um, protests and outrage at the uh, cartoons uh, originally published in uh, a Danish newspaper, which of course have uh, 
the protests have, have spread to Britain, as you'll be aware, and uh, sort of really quite a lot of backlash from, uh, I think you could say, middle Britain at the nature of some of the placards held up by demonstrators in London who were, you know, you may feel rightly demonstrating against uh, cartoons which they found offensive, but I think uh, most people uh, in Britain found the some of the placards held up referring to the London bombings uh, much more offensive. And that, without uh, wishing to go into the whole story, because you'll be uh, familiar with that, has been a major issue here at home in the UK. So some pretty dark days in uh, in terms of of politics and uh, religion and views and and all the kind of thing that sadly I think is part of our modern life nowadays, isn't it? And of course, on a slightly lighter note as well, uh, we can't get away without uh, bowing a little bit to the British obsession with the weather. Now we've had supposedly one of the driest uh, Januarys on record. And I have to say, I wouldn't say the weather has been great. It's been quite cold and at times quite cloudy as well, but definitely dry. And they're now talking about introducing hosepipe bans in the UK as early, possibly, as March or April this year. Now, in the last couple of days, and I'm speaking to you uh, as I record this on Tuesday... Oh, what? What? On Valentine's Day, I should say, on Tuesday the 14th of February, in the last couple of days, we have had a little tiny bit of rain, uh, but we're still well down on the average. So uh, hosepipe bands look almost certain this summer. And I think another example of uh, just the weird weather in the world. We're very aware, too, uh, here at home of snow, heavy, heavy snow falling in New York and across other parts of America. And over the next few days, we're told we will get the tail end of that weather here in the UK. Probably not snow, but uh, back to uh, bitter coldness. It has been very cold in the last couple of weeks. As I speak to you now on Valentine's afternoon, looking out of my uh, window here, really nice, bright and sunny, but still dry. And uh, our weather uh, continues good. Our water continues to be very low. So now it's time on Blighty to have a look at some of your uh, correspondence and emails, which we're always uh, more than happy to receive. And I'll just remind you of our email address. Couldn't be easier, really. imissblighty at gmail.com imissblighty, or one word, at gmail.com Do get in touch with us. We love to hear from you. And you can check out our associated website, too, which you will find... Remember, there's no www's in this. It is just imissblighty.blogspot.com imissblighty.blogspot.com And before I kick off into the emails, I will just tell you this piece of music is by Kenobi and it's called Let's Slip Into Something More Comfortable. I'm telling you that now because every single time I play it on the radio, which I do quite often, somebody asks me what it is. It is magic, though. It was actually used uh, in a series of TV commercials by Carlsberg here in the UK. Lovely piece of music. But enough of that. Here's Mark Rolston emailing us. Hi to you, Mark, and a big thanks uh, to you for your email. He says, Dear Simon, uh, just a quick email to say that I love the podcast, a great mix of good music and good items. Thank you very much, Mark. He says, I'm an expat living in Israel. I will actually tell you uh, in just a moment 
the biggest boo-boo I ever made in my broadcasting career, which was to do with broadcasting to Israel. But let me uh, do Mark's email first. He said, in 1990, I thought it'd be a good idea to go backpacking around the world uh, before I settled down in the UK to be a British Bobby. Wow. Well, little did I know, to cut a long story short, I've been living in Israel since around 1995, married to the girl I met in 1990 with two great kids. They're two and four years old. Uh, He says, of course, I'm proud to be British and always keep in touch with what's going on in the UK. All my family live there. I grew up in Guildford until I was 20 years old, although my family uh, is now spread across southern England. Amazing, Mark, because for quite a few years of mine, well, about three years, I also lived in Guildford, the part of Guildford. Merrow, I don't know if you know it, that's where I live. Anyway, he says, the things I miss about the UK are... Oh, yeah, there's some good stuff here from Mark. Things I miss, good manners, orderly cues. Wow. He says, which don't exist in Israel. Now, this is interesting, and all our blightyites overseas will, I'm sure, agree. It is only in Britain, right, that we bother to queue, I think. Queuing is such a British thing. I suppose they do in America, but they get in line, don't they? But they, they don't do it quite as strictly as we do, and people kind of wander in and out. And It's just a British obsession, but a polite one. So I agree with you, Mark. Uh, queuing is good in some ways in Britain. Pubs, he misses. Uh, British people and British snack food, crisps and chocolate included, and good old cider. Mark's a cider fan. He says, you have a great podcast and I really look forward to listening to it. Thank you very much. He says, by the way, I did want to ask about the music you play. Are you able to play non-podcast safe music? Or in other words, normal music uh, because of your job in radio? The situation, I think, at the moment, Mark, is confused in Britain. And until it is resolved, I will play what you call and what I guess I would call normal music but I am going to start actually uh, getting into playing some pod safe music because some of it is brilliant so we will be featuring that in additions to come but as uh, at the moment until the situation resolves itself in Britain uh, we will continue to play some normal tunes okay and uh, we await clarification on that really so, uh, I will get round to Skyping you as well, Mark. We'll get you on the show. Now, the story I was going to tell you very briefly uh, while we're on Israel. Many years ago, I worked in Cyprus. And in the summer months, uh, you could pick up the station I worked for, which was BFBS, British Forces Radio. Uh, in the summer months only, the, the FM signal used to travel across the sea, actually. And so, in Israel, in many parts of Israel, in the summer months... Uh, You could hear us. Another big station at the time and a kind of rival to us was a station called uh, The Voice of Peace, which used to broadcast. Anyway, so, of course, during the summer, we used to get quite a lot of letters in the days before email uh, from expats living in Israel. And we used to give them a big shout and play tunes they wanted and whatever. And I remember one particular... You know when you say something, this is particularly on the radio, and as you're saying it, you, you, there's a voice in the back of your head saying, why am I saying that? Why didn't I think what I'm saying? Anyway, I had a letter, and they were all great people, you know, all Brits uh, working in Israel, uh, from a group of people living in Haifa, which was one of the areas where you could hear our signal particularly strongly in the summer. 
and they said, would you give us a big shout? We're, uh, we're, we're having a drink in an English pub in Haifa, and it's called the White Lion. Now, I've no idea whether it still exists, but I do know at the time they did actually send me a postcard of this pub. And I thought it was, this was great to get this, you know. And rather like I do on this podcast sometimes, I'm start, starting to think of what the White Lion looks like, you know, where you live overseas, what that looks like. And I'm thinking, oh, that must be brilliant. An English pub in Haifa, brilliant. So on air, I said, well, I can just picture you now. And it was like a Friday lunchtime. Uh, bear in mind, this is Israel. I can picture you now sitting there with your glass of bitter and a pork pie. Uh, this did not go down at all well. <laughs> I actually had a complaint uh, from the British Embassy in Haifa, so they can... <laughs> It was a genuine accident. I wasn't taking a mickey. Uh, it just didn't go down very well. Anyway, it's probably just done it again now. Now, here's a really nice email from Keith Moffitt, uh, who's in Phoenix, Arizona, in the United States. Hi to you, Keith. He says, Simon, outstanding. Your last podcast was the best show that I've heard. Uh, it really made me miss England. I'm an American who has visited twice, and I enjoy your show immensely, but you really did a good job on this one. Thank you very much, Keith. That was the one uh, which we did in the pub, The Royal Standard, which is just a brilliant pub. So thank you very much for your thoughts, Keith, and we hope you enjoy this one as well. Curry making, coming up pretty soon. Right. Time for a bit of music, and amazingly, there's a guy who's suddenly rocketed again to the top of Britain's charts. He is now 57 years old. You will probably remember him for having a bit of a weird, bushy hairdo and for singing in quite a squeaky voice at times. I'm talking about Leo Sayer. I'm not going to play you the tune that is number one in Britain. It's Thunder in My Heart and a reworking of it because I think they've really made a bad job of it. And Leo Sayer, despite being a bit of a figure of fun at times, was a good artist. So we're going to play this track from him as he's all the rage again here in the UK. This is a good tune. It's One Man Band. Well, everybody knows down Lightbrook Grove You have to leap across the street you can lose your life under a taxi cab You gotta have eyes in your feet You find a nice soft corner and you sit right down Take up your guitar and play But then the lawman comes and says move along So you move along all day Well I'm a one man band Nobody is there anybody out there wanna let me a hand to my one man band? For three days now I haven't eaten at all. My my, I must be getting so fat. Soon my cap won't be large enough to drop a half a crown in. So hey there, mister, don't you look so sad Don't look so well at ease When I can play you any song you like To cheer up that life you lead Oh, I'm a one-man band Nobody knows nor understands Is there anybody out there wanna Let me a hand 
And that's a one-man band. He is top of Britain's charts again, amazingly. Not with that track, uh, with a reworking of Thunder in My Heart, which I don't like. I don't like the new version of it. So we played you a a Leo Sayer classic. But at 57 years old, uh, back on top of Britain's charts. Right, before we go into some more light-hearted news, uh, here's something to keep you in touch with uh, what's happening at home. House price inflation in the year to December, up 2.9% in Britain. But what I think you'll find more interesting uh, is that now the average price of a house in Britain is £185,000. There you go. That's what we like to uh, try and do. Keep you in touch like that. One hundred the average price of a house in Britain. Got some uh, lighter stories from the news for you. It's some weird... People doing weird things with food, which I can't understand. First of all, uh, we heard about a Manchester couple celebrating 50 years of marriage uh, by eating... This is... By eating a tin of chicken they were given on their wedding day. So remember, I'm just going to have a slurp here, by the way. We have a glass of Newcastle Brown, uh, just lightly chilled, which will get Geordie's hearts throbbing all across the world but can you imagine that they've had this tin of chicken for 50 years you know of all things not to eat after 50 years i would say chicken but they did it and they they survived uh, it was given to them originally in 1956 and uh, on their wedding day uh, they celebrated that must have been gopping can you imagine eating 50 year old chicken what's the matter with the man why couldn't he take his wife out for a nice meal <laughs> And also, in the weird old food department, a woman says, I own a 104-year-old bar of chocolate. Uh, Her name is Jane Marshall from Draycott in Derbyshire. 
She was apparently given the bar of Cadbury's by her granddad, Fred Horn, when she was nine. Uh, she hasn't eaten it yet. Uh, she says, I can't remember what it tastes like, though, so I may be forced to eat it uh, in the near future just to bring back some memories. So basically, when she was given it, right, and she was nine years old, it was already 50 years old. <laughs> These people need something doing to them urgently. Anyway, there you go. Now, this alarmed me uh, because, as you know, in the UK now, you can get all kinds of uh, strange food. I think this was, uh, you know, far more common in Australia and uh, the United States. Things like ostrich, right? You can now get ostrich in bigger supermarkets in the UK, you know? Uh, you do have to chase it round quite a bit <laughs> before you catch it, but no, they do ostrich legs. Ostrich legs, you must have seen a massive... I mean, they're like, uh, you know, one thigh is like a whole chicken, you know? But you can buy them. You can buy uh, llama. Uh, people eat llama as well. And what else is there? There's all kinds of weird things. Uh, I don't know. I think crocodile too. I did eat crocodile myself once uh, in Florida, and it was foul. Really not nice. I did say to the guy, uh, could you bring me a crocodile sandwich and make it snappy? But uh, he didn't do that. Anyway, in the news from home, uh, in Hampshire, they have water buffalo. Now, I don't know how far flung we have our I Miss Blighty listeners. Anyone in Asia? Water buffalo, of course, originate in Asia, but they have been in more recent times uh, being brought over to the UK to uh, supply speciality milk, cheese and yogurts. I didn't know this, but we do have... Water buffalo. Water buffalo, of course, are the... I'll just get a quick slurp of Nuki Brown. Hang on. I'm developing a thirst. Uh, water buffalo are the creatures that um, you normally see standing around in, in paddy fields, don't you? Up to their knees in water. Because, to be honest, they don't usually have a lot to do, uh, except once a day get milked. So, that you know, they get a little bit bored. Anyway, here at home, this is now happening. But six have escaped, right, in Limington in Hampshire. And people were advised by police. I'm not joking, this is true. Do not approach them because they are wicked at spraying dung over large distances. Ah. Seriously now. Uh, the police said they should not be approached from behind... <laughs> The, the animals are able to spray dung across a very large... I don't know how far. You see, I find this... You, If you were in Hampshire, you would need to know this, wouldn't you? Because, you know, it could be quite a difference between uh, getting away with it and having a very unpleasant day, you know? What is what is the distance involved? 100 metres? Half a mile? I don't know. But uh, as yet, they have not been caught, and residents around Lymington in Hampshire... Uh, are being told, you know, do not approach these from behind, particularly. Uh, it does put you up, you know, animals spraying dung uh, when you know they're used to make cheese and yogurts. It, that really puts me off eating those products, I have to say. I mean, who's to know what might happen when you take the lid off, you know? Right, we're going to have a little break now, and uh, we'll be back in just a tick, and we're going to cook you some curry. Uh, but I thought we'd keep our Welsh friends happy with From Wales, The Manic Street Preachers. This is a classic song. Life was give us power Then what came I made us feel 
real classic The Manic Street Preachers and A Design for Life. Now, as I promised you, I'm going to try and cook you some curry and point you in the right direction if you want to cook yourself some curry overseas because in a lot of places now where people are listening, you can't just walk into your Indian, can you? So join me in the kitchen and we'll cook some vindaloo next. Podcasting has exposed the world to some great new artists like Brother Love. Adrena Thor. And of course, Bob Gentry. Turning me upside down. Tell me what I've done wrong now. Pod Music Countdown serves up the top pod safe tunes each week. If you want to hear the cream of the crop in pod safe music. Check out the PMC Top 10. Counting down the top 10 pot safe tunes being spun by podcasters at podmusiccountdown.com. And as the Sea Dog says, keep it real. What I'm going to cook now is a vindaloo because I'm a big fan of hot curries. So we're just going to cook up some onions here. But as we're doing this, I'm just going to give you some basic principles on what I think is how to make a good curry, even if you find it a little bit hard to get some of the ingredients where you are. And by that, everyone's going to be able to get meat, onion and potatoes. Excuse me while I go to the fridge, which of course are going to give you a very fine curry. Uh, Without any of those ingredients, meat, onion or potatoes, you're going to have a great deal of trouble (laughs) making any kind of curry. But I think there are some general principles to curry cooking, which I'm going to get into now. Number one, and this is actually what I'm doing as I speak to you, always get some oil. It doesn't matter what kind of oil, except I don't think olive oil goes particularly well with curry. It's too fruity. It's not the right kind of taste. And it it all makes it slightly... A bit odd tasting, not ideal. So I'm using groundnut oil here, but rule number one is there should be lots of frying in making a curry before water or any liquid gets anywhere near the thing. Now let me explain what I'm doing. I'm frying off the onions here. In a moment, I'm going to add a paste to the onions and fry that paste. I'm going to fry it for quite a long time on a low heat until it goes almost really dark brown black. And this is what is known, I suppose, in the restaurant side of uh, curry making as the Buna process. It's the frying down of the spices that really give the curry its taste. And as I'm sure you know, any good restaurant, often actually, they've prepared a kind of curry base to which they can quickly add meat and heat it up. But it's it's very authentic. It tastes good. But the frying is the key thing. So always get your onions in. You can find recipes for curries all over the place. I'm now going to give you a recipe for a very basic curry powder. If you wish, if you have to, if you can't get anything else, use curry powder. But if you can get these spices, mix your own. You want in these sort of quantities. Two teaspoons of coriander, 
one teaspoon of turmeric, one teaspoon of cumin powder, and one teaspoon of chilli powder. Mix those up, two coriander, one turmeric, one cumin ground, one chilli powder. Mix them up with a tiny bit of water, just a tiny bit to make a stiff paste, and you have a really good curry powder. Now, how much of that you want rather depends on, you know, how much meat, maybe potatoes, vegetables, you're cooking with it. You can trial and error. What I've given you there, four... Uh, teaspoons in total would, would be good for like two people and the sort of portion of meat that would do two people and when you've mixed that up put it in with the onions and fry it turn it right down and fry it for a long time maybe 10-15 minutes on a very gentle heat curry spices need to be fried to bring out the flavour now, if you want to get a bit more adventurous, there are many, many books. You can order books uh, on the internet, of course. And uh, if I can recommend books by a guy called Pat Chapman, who's <clears throat> been writing curry books for years and, and runs the Curry Club. And I can honestly say, if you follow Pat Chapman's recipes uh, from his books, look him up on Amazon, you can order all his books, uh, you will get really brilliant, authentic curries. So make your own. Remember, fry, fry, fry first. Right, my boona, as it's known, my onion and spice mixture is frying away fantastically there. And I'm going to leave that to fry on a medium heat for 10, 15 minutes to get it nice and dark. So I will continue in just a minute. And as the best chefs say, after a short slurp of this wonderful... Oh... Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. I'm a fan, I really am. Our spices and our onions have been frying away for a good 15 minutes there. And they really, you get the flavour coming out. In goes the meat for a good browning. Heat up full now in the wok. I always use a, these days, a non-stick wok to make curry in. I find it the best, uh, you know, combination of uh, modern and traditional, if you like. The meat has gone in there. Give it a good browning. But again, although I'm going to add water to this eventually, the frying is the key thing. So lots of frying before you get any water anywhere near the, the curry. <laughs> and that, <coughs> that is so pungent. I'm standing obviously above the uh, wok here. It's actually making me cough. So I think we're going to get a bit of yogurt in there. Otherwise I'm not going to be able to eat this. This vindaloo. Meat's frying nicely. We'll give that another couple of minutes. Just to brown it all off. And then, and only then, when it's sort of sealed and browned and all the spices have been fried for a long time, Gently fried, I should add, but fried for a long time. Then we'll add some water to make what will eventually be the gravy for the curry. That looks great. Back, I think now, when it's time to taste it. I'm not going to bore you with the whole process of cooking it down. We're going to add some water in a minute. It's fizzling away here. Some yoghurt. Then I'll put some potato in, which is sort of traditional in a vindaloo. 
and uh, leave it probably to cook for a good hour. And this is going to be a hot one. So after a short gap there, I've uh, got the vindaloo ready. I've done some rice as well. It's all on the plate. I've got myself a a naan bread, which I must admit I bought. I didn't uh, make. Here we go. Here's a mouthful then. That is very, very flavoursome and lovely, but I have to say that is very hot as well, despite the fact I put some yoghurt in it. So from Blighty, that's our curry recommendation. Fry the spices, fry everything before you start and you'll be laughing. Mwah.
That's Donna Summer and Hot Stuff after our little vindaloo in the kitchen, which I hope you uh, enjoyed. I tell you what, I certainly enjoyed eating it. Now I'm delighted to be joined again by my good friend Neil from across the road, and I've got him in to tell us a little bit uh, about holidays in centre parks, which over the years in the UK have kind of slowly grown in popularity. They're like a sort of posh butlins, really. But uh, Neil's going to tell us about them now because he's just come back uh, bravely, really. In January, he went, just a couple of weeks ago, to uh, one of the centre parks in Britain. And I want to ask you, Neil, um, is it true they have these big sort of domes, these heated sort of eco domes with uh, plants and jungles inside because that's what we hear there is there's a what they call the subtropical swimming paradise which is uh, uh, tropically warm all year which is really nice and it's got palm trees and uh, all kinds of things and apart from the smell of chlorine you could close your eyes and <laughs> you think you were in the tropics is i mean it really is like that is it it's, it's really warm it must be weird in because you it went is. in what january yeah it is incredibly warm and it is lovely the there's an outside bit you can go outside we have in the past actually been swimming outdoors in the snow which one did you go to uh, we go to Longleat normally, but we have been to Sherwood before now. And you've been going, is it since 1991? Yeah, we've been going since um, since my nephew was a baby, really. So what are some of the other things that you do on, on the holiday, then? There's lots of different things to do. You could um, just spend your whole time around the pool and um, going down the rapids and playing in the waves and going down chutes. Uh, there's also a sports centre you can do badminton and uh, just about anything you like. But the thing the women like most, there's a sort of pampering centre that's all saunas and facials and that kind of thing. They love that. Now, I know you regularly go, you know, overseas for holidays and, and whatever, but do you think a lot of the people who go to centre parks are the sort of Brits who don't like leaving Britain? <laughs> Um, I'm not sure, really. I do know people who only ever go to centre parks, but uh, we go in the winter. It's just something nice to do after Christmas and before the summer. We've done um, different things in the past. We've been out um, on a cycle nature trail before. We did a cycling treasure hunt. Um, We've done archery, um, laser clay pigeon shooting we did one year. So you went to Longley. I know there's other ones at Elvedon Forest, Sherwood Forest, which you said you've also been to, and Winfell Forest. Um, so um, a good holiday then. Yeah, it's a, a good chill out, I think. Literally, I would year. think, in January. <laughs> in January. <laughs> yeah, you don't really get cold. Seems quite popular. Pretty full? Yeah, packed out. I mean, that's a bit of a downside of it, really. They're putting in more and more... Uh, accommodation with not really that much more activities so it's it is starting to get quite crowded well good to see you nice to talk to you i'm glad you enjoyed your holiday and i uh, must say a good opportunity to walk around in uh, in bathers in january outside yeah. well sort of outside anyway they are that's neil and center parks so now we have the first of what is going to be a brand new feature on I Miss Blighty every other week when the uh, podcast comes out. It's called Rock Around Britain and starting in purely alphabetical order, we're going to have a look at uh, some events and bands and famous people uh, and where they've come from in the UK. So we start with Bedfordshire. Bedfordshire. 
and eventually we'll work our way all around the UK. Obviously, there's masses of history in each county, and I can't do all of it, but Bedfordshire, probably uh, best known in some ways for the California Ballroom in Dunstable. Uh, if you know the area, that was at the foot of Dunstable Downs and was the country's hottest venue uh, in the 60s and 70s. The Rolling Stones played there four times. Uh, Cream, Jimi Hendrix, Ike and Tina Turner, real headlining acts at the uh, California Ballroom. Uh, it survived until the punk era, and the last gig ever played there was the Clash and the Buzzcocks White Riot Tour in May 1977 with The Damned as well. And if you know the area, I can tell you just before the gig, Rat Scabies, the legendary uh, <laughs> member of The Damned, was refused service at the Windsock Pub nearby for being too drunk already. Yet he managed to go on stage and play a blinder. Uh, the other much posher venue in Dunstable was the Queensway Hall. And again, virtually uh, every big group played there at some time, including Fairport Convention, uh, Wishbone Ash, and in more recent times, R.E.M., in November 1984. So there you go. Leighton Buzzard in Bedfordshire, home of the legendary, really, 60s pop impersonators, the Baron Knights, who have been going for something like 40 years. Uh, Leighton Buzzard was their original place. Also home in Leighton Buzzard to Kajagoogoo, uh, who didn't have quite the prolonged success of uh, <laughs> the Baron Knights, but their debut hit, Too Shy, was a British uh, number one from Leighton Buzzard. Woburn and Woburn Abbey have uh, some big contributions to make to the uh, history of pop music. And, of course, we really go back to those classic uh, concerts in the 60s and particularly in the summer of 1967. England's first Flower Power Festival held at Woburn. Hundreds and hundreds of hippies descended on it and Jeff Beck and Arthur Brown among the many providing the entertainment and another big festival in July 1968 again at Woburn Abbey uh, with Jimi Hendrix, T-Rex, Family and Gino Washington all appearing. But we're going to end on Bedfordshire for this time with Luton, uh, who's, uh, which has seen you know, many famous people uh, arise from Luton. Uh, the Cresta Ballroom, one of the uh, premier, premium ballrooms in the country uh, during its time. And the rather strange story of artist PJ Proby, who in 1965 rather famously split his velvet trousers at the Ritz in Gordon Street in, in Luton. It was a genuine accident, uh, but being rather prudish in those days as they were, the curtain was lowered, the microphone switched off, and the cinema management, because it was a cinema, uh, apologised profusely to the audience and refunded their money for his, for his obscene act. After that, PJ Proby's career took a nosedive and he watched his career go down the tubes. So Luton... But we're going to end our first edition of Rock Around Britain by paying tribute to someone who was born in Luton. He became a megastar. We're going to play you a track from him now, which is just such a blighty track in the sense that the lyrics are absolutely, totally suited to a life overseas. I'll give you a clue. He began with a band called The Q-Tips. And his first British number one was called, and this is the blighty bit, Wherever I Lay My Hat, That's My Home. Born in Luton, 
and the climax of our first rock around Britain and ending our look at Bedfordshire, here's Paul Young. By the look in your eye, I can tell you're gonna cry. Is it over me? If it is, save your tears, for I'm not worth it, you see. For I'm the type of boy who is always on the road. Wherever I lay my hat, that's my home. Telling you that's my home. You had romance. Did you break it by chance over me? If it's so I'd like for you to know that I'm not worth it. You see, for I'm the type of boy who is always on the road mm-hmm. wherever I lay my head that's my home mm-hmm. that's my home Young, who, as you now know, comes from Luton, and that's wherever I lay my hat, that's my home. Right, just a couple of quick bits from me before we give you the answers to the quiz questions, and uh, sadly, again, end this edition of I Miss Blighty. But I've wanted to talk to you a little bit about shortwave radio for a while, because I'm quite interested as to whether you actually make use of shortwave radio wherever you're listening around the world. In most places, you will, of course, uh, be able to pick up and probably be familiar with uh, the BBC World Service, who have broadcast on shortwave for many, many years. But uh, in theory, you can pick up um, 
countries from all over the planet with a shortwave radio. It's a hobby that I found absolutely fascinating since I was 12 years old. I love listening to the news as it's brought to you directly by other countries. In other words, rather than hearing it through all the uh, established news agencies, it's great to hear it, so to speak, from the horse's mouth. And I think back in the days of, if you like, the communist era, it was really interesting to hear the the slant and admittedly rather biased um, viewpoint put on world news uh, by the likes of The Voice of Moscow, uh, Radio Moscow, The Voice of Russia and similar communist stations and still, I have to say, uh, slightly put on by China Radio International. But my particular love of shortwave radio, and I'm going to put a link up on the website which you can check out at imissblighty.blogspot.com is in a hobby called DXing and I've enjoyed that for many years. I'll just tell you very briefly, the idea is to pick up tiny little radio stations with virtually no power, very local radio stations, not big international broadcasters, but tiny little stations from as far away as you can. It's a really fascinating hobby because it means you're eavesdropping on little stations that you're not really intended to be listening to. And I'll just give you a little example of the weird hobby it is. I find this gives me the biggest thrill ever. Here's a station in Mali in Africa, in Bamako, radio television Malien, broadcasting as I heard them from all the way away in Aylesbury. Here's what they sound like. <laughs> Well, I told you I was weird, but that gives me a great thrill hearing that tiny little station all the way from Mali in Africa on some quite nice kit I have, I have to be honest, quite sophisticated shortwave receiver and my current pride and joy, a 40-pound receiver which used to sit in a nuclear submarine and I managed to get in an auction for X Ministry of Defence kit. It's got pride of place on my rack behind me. Uh, it was originally on a nuclear submarine. And if you think this speech, and that was French you heard there, all the way from Mali is a bit boring... There's no greater thrill than hearing some of the wonderful music that comes a bit crackly, admittedly, out of Africa. Here's how that sounds. <laughs> And that little snippet from Radio Rwanda, again in Africa. Brilliant, and I just love that stuff. I told you I was weird, didn't I? But if you want to check out DXing, check out the website. I've put some links there to some good DXing organisations. They'll set you off in the right direction. I think you'll enjoy it. Give it a go. Shortwave radio, sadly, is dying these days, being replaced by, of course, listening to stations on the internet. But the originals, crackly and great fun, are still there to be listened to. So give it a go. 
now, the I Miss Blighty Quiz. Just never, never, never have enough time on this podcast. We're at the end again. I need to give you the answers to the Blighty Quiz. To which disc jockey was Anthea Turner married before her current uh, husband, Grant Bovey? He used to be on Radio 1. His name, Peter Powell. Question two. Lord Lucan's nickname began with L. What was it? It'd be easier if we knew where he was, really, wouldn't it? But uh, his Lord Lucky Lucan. Lucky Lucan, the answer. And the charter, the brainchild of John Major in 1991, supposed to make life in Britain better and improve public services. The Citizens' Charter. So there you go. One of the things he'll be remembered for, along with Edwina Curry. (laughs) We had a bit of curry earlier in the podcast, didn't we? Not as much as he did, I think. So that's it from me, Simon Gettier. A huge thanks to you for listening. I really do enjoy being with you every couple of weeks. Thanks for your comments. If you want to send us any more, imissblighty at gmail.com. And I'll see you again. Well, you know what the lady says. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the podcast that British expats are all talking about. I Miss Blighty. See you in two weeks.